Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. Kurt Flewelling here. Um, oh, well, impeachment again. Uh, we got to cover it. I will cover it. Um, don't want to. I'm just getting very tired of all this stuff, but um, it's a real thing and we got to do it. So, um, you know, for those of you out there that don't really pay much attention to uh, the impeachment and, and the, the numbers uh, bear out that you are not alone. The, uh, the viewing numbers between Fox and CNN and all the rest are, are pretty anemic for something as uh, epic and huge as uh, a, uh, a trial in the United States Senate to see if a sitting president is going to be removed. So, um, you would think it would be a little bit more um, popular or uh, people would, would uh, listen to it or watch it, I should say. But they're not. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, none the least of which is apathy. We are living in a world that is far different than the world was 20 years ago when Bill Clinton was impeached and they had a trial in the Senate. And uh, I don't think a lot of people are as uh, civic minded as they were. I think they're quite a bit more distracted with things that they feel are a little bit more important. Um, coupled with the fact that there were no crimes committed or uh, alleged to have been committed in this go around, um, to educate people that weren't even alive at the time of the Bill Clinton impeachment. He very much was charged with three or four crimes, um, perjury, suborning perjury, obstruction of justice, um, lost his law license. Um, the man lied under oath. Uh, these are things that, that uh, Donald Trump has not even been remotely charged with. The, um, the two articles are extraordinarily weak at best, even if you are not uh, a Donald Trump fan and, and uh, carry his water. And I'm certainly someone that uh, respects the president and has um, – lauded and chronicled his uh, his achievements, but have been not real shy to criticize him when he deserves to be criticized. And I can tell you what has happened to this man is just an absolute travesty. So on the one hand, we have, you know, Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and Nancy Pelosi making this stuff up out of whole cloth and just trying to shove a square peg in a round hole. But then we have the import of what has happened. This man has been impeached. It will be on his record forever. Rightly or wrongly impeached, he was impeached. And uh, goes back to the adage, numbers mean things. Uh, victories mean things in politics. If it's 51 to 49, it does not matter. If you have numbers, you can do some pretty terrible things. And my assertion is the, the United States Congress has done a really terrible thing, wasted a lot of time and a lot of money uh, going after this man and, and what is uh, 
pretty much acceptable for anybody that's objective, a a, uh, a vendetta, if you will, or just a, a blind hatred toward this man. But back to people that really don't pay too much attention, you know, all you really need to know is who the characters are that are leading this charge. And as I chronicled, Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, and Nancy Pelosi are probably the top three in the uh, House of Representatives that are um, doing this. And you really don't have to acquaint yourself with all the details, although I would encourage you to do that. Look at the character of the individuals that um, we've just cited. Adam Schiff has uh, has been caught lying on, on just literally hundreds of occasions in the last few years, documented just it's really not up for debate. And the only way that he gets away with it is the general apathy of um, of the American people. But Adam Schiff is just I, – I really don't understand that pathology, how you could get up every day and do what he does. But he does it. Jerry Nadler announced and campaigned that he was going to lead the charge in impeaching the president um, before the president was even uh, – uh, off and running in his presidency. And Nancy Pelosi has an extraordinarily long history of uh, corruption and um, and uh, being compromised uh, in the area of truth. Um, to say that she is praying for the president and chronicling the solemnity of the whole procedure and um, uh, citing the Constitution, my goodness gracious, the Constitution to Nancy Pelosi is like the cross is to Dracula. It really is. And um, for her to cite it is just so stomach churning. It's not even funny. And I, I just kind of wonder where that solemnity was when she was um, passing out commemorative pens of the impeachment um, uh procedure and um and and you know barely containing herself uh they were spiking the football so to speak and you know it, it really it, it just it boggles the mind but we have to endure it we have 24 hours of the democrats going blah 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 we have 24 hours of the republicans going blah 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 we have a, a vote whether uh witnesses should be uh, allowed. And at first blush, that seems to be something that's reasonable. However, you know, it was, it's very uh, interesting. Adam Schiff did not really care to let Republicans call witnesses and uh, cross-examine his witnesses in earnest. And now all of a sudden, when this is in the Senate, we have to open it up to as many uh, witnesses as we can possibly come up with. So, again, numbers mean things. So what's going to happen is the uh, the Democrats who had numbers in the House shoved this thing down our throat, impeached our president, and the uh, senators in that body, have, the Republicans have numbers, and they will run their show the way they want to. Um, the danger there is Republicans aren't as good at this as Democrats are. So Democrats are, are pretty ruthless in general, will do whatever it takes to get done, whatever they need to get done. 
And Republicans just don't play that dirty and that aggressive. And they're always about a quarter to a half step behind uh, Democrats. So that's um, at this juncture where we are right now is the second day of listening to the Democrats drone on and on and on and on. Um, I'm confident that President Trump will be acquitted and not removed from office. But again, uh, Republicans are just not as good at this theater, if you will, as uh, as Democrats are. They just are not. So until this is over, I'm not going to, you know, hold. I mean, I'm not going to be as confident as other people are that that this thing's going to uh, turn out the way that it should. He, The man did not do anything to rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors and should be acquitted. And I think he will be acquitted, but I'm not going to state that 100, with 100% certainty. Um, something very interesting happened at the um, impeachment hearings, and it's uh, something that I discuss quite a bit on this show, and it is um, what we say as conservatives or Christians or believers or evangelical faith-based voters is not as important as how we say it, and that has been quite a broken record on my show, but I, it does bear repeating, and um, another incident happened that... Um, gives me occasion to to hammer home that point again. Uh, this article I'm reading here says, Schumer is the devil. Anti-abortion protester disrupts impeachment trial. Uh, and this is January 22nd. An anti-abortion protester burst into the Senate Visitors Gallery Wednesday and screamed, dismiss the charges, while Democrat Representative Hakeem Jeffries made remarks. Capitol Hill police immediately grabbed Rives Miller Grogan and pushed him into the hallway outside the gallery as he yelled, Schumer is the devil. They support abortion. Again, um, a fair amount. Uh, the, the lines are pretty much drawn in this country who supports um, abortion and who supports um, babies in the womb. It's pretty clear. But there unbelievably are a a fair segment of the populace that I think if you push them, they kind of lean one way or the other. But it's one of those uh, head in the sand type issues for some people that they just don't want to think about it too much. And they probably should simply because um, the people they vote for or the people they don't vote for are, are very important in this debate. And when we're talking about that segment, whatever the a percentage you want to assign to that segment of the populace. Um, rhetoric like Schumer is the devil is not persuading anybody. In fact, it's it's doing more for the opposition than it is uh, for your cause. And it never ceases to amaze me that Republicans always have a few people, sometimes more than a few people at rallies or um, in whatever, whatever venue they happen to be in that hold up a stupid sign, make a stupid comment like this, 
knowing that the liberal media is is um, absolutely ready to pounce and take a picture of that, take a video of that, and then what? Ha- write an article about it, and then what happens is anti-abortion activists or anti-abortion people um, are now this this guy is the face of that faction of the Republican Party. Whether he is or isn't, and he certainly is not, um, that's what happens. Now, I've, I've spoken to people that have uh, that are going to the uh, Right to Life March down in Washington, and they said that you know the tenor of that march has um, dramatically turned in recent years because of lunatics such as this, and it's it's steeped in love. It's more love for the woman that has had an abortion or is contemplating an abortion. And that's what Jesus Christ is all about. Jesus Christ, if he were here walking the face of the earth in the flesh, would not be yelling, Schumer is the devil. He supports abortion. He just would not do that. There are many other ways that the point could be made rather than this guy driving people further away from where he would like them to be. And um, that goes for many issues. It really does. Uh, How we speak to one another, how we persuade one another is definitely something that we – that we need to be mindful of. And we will, uh, we have some other stories in the stack here that we can uh, get to later. Um, And again, they are uh, opportunities for us as conservatives, as Christians, as faith-based voters to lovingly educate instead of repel. Uh, What is the end game when, uh, when we get right down to it? And we always have to keep that in mind, but um Next story that I'm uh, taking a look at here, it says 2020 Democrats marooned in D.C. for impeachment um, and they uh, they can't be a part of the process in Iowa because um, they are uh, obligated to to take part in this removal phase of the impeachment debacle. And it is uh, Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Um, they're all expected to uh, to spend every day in Capitol Hill as jurors in this trial, and uh, I'm sure they're not too happy about that. And you know, if if uh, a number of other Democratic hopefuls didn't either drop out or get forced to drop out, um, that list would have been six or seven senators. Um, it says in interviews Wednesday. As they headed to the Senate floor for opening arguments, Klobuchar and Warren did not dispute that being forced off the campaign trail less than two weeks before Iowa could handicap their 2020 prospects, but each described it as their moral duty to adjudicate impeachment articles charging Trump with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, the second being just absolutely unfathomable to me that somebody could come up with something um, such as that presidents obstruct Congress um, in one form or another. It could be argued um, on a daily basis. And this is Democrats or Republicans. This is my responsibility, Warren said. I took an oath of office to uphold the Constitution. And that's why I'm here. Some things are more important than politics. 
Well, she's saying all the right things, but you know, inside she's got to be um, absolutely angst ridden because um, there's a reason that people basically live in these states, Iowa or uh, New Hampshire, and um, and do the uh, uh, cafe circuit and the uh, town hall speeches and the VFWs and all the. Um, the local schmaltzy things that they have to do to curry favor with voters in those two states. And it's killing her. It's killing her. It's killing Bernie. It's it's killing uh, Amy Klobuchar to not be there because if they're not there their and their opponents are, um, that's a problem. Uh, namely, Pete Buttigieg and um, our old friend Joe Biden. Um the most recent polls that I've seen are pretty close between uh, the five that I've just uh, – Amy Klobuchar certainly isn't in that category. But um, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Buttigieg, and Biden are all pretty clumped in the uh, low to mid to uh, upper teens. And it's anybody's game. It really is. And uh, coming out of Iowa – you know, first or second is tremendous momentum, as you know, going into New Hampshire. And um, we'll see how it goes. It, it is uh, I, uh, the, the, uh, the level of uh, caliber of the uh, Democrat candidates is just leaves something to be desired. And, and we don't really have to go too far to understand that by um, – the likes of Michael Bloomberg jumping in and spending bazillions of dollars and uh, a la George Bush, or excuse me, Jeb Bush, not really um, making too much uh, noise in the polls, but certainly spending a lot of money. When when I, I don't watch a lot of television, but when I'm traveling and I see a TV on or whatever, I see Michael Bloomberg on television more than all of these people as far as advertising is concerned and really doesn't seem to be making a dent. So um, it's uh, a couple weeks away and we will see what happens. But uh, again, I, I don't really – let me back up. As far as debates are concerned, I don't see any of these guys winning a debate against Donald Trump if you look at this thing objectively. Um, I just don't see how it happens. He's too dynamic of an individual. He's too cutthroat of an individual as far as any debate decorum, if you will. He will go for the jugular. He doesn't care if you're a woman or a man, old or young, um, liberal or conservative. He will do what he needs to do. Just ask Ted Cruz in order to um, win a debate and uh, subsequently win the nomination. Now, he obviously has the nomination, but I don't see any of these characters. Um, and I and I actually, if, if it does indeed become Joe Biden, um, not a big Joe Biden fan, obviously, but I, I would really feel some degree of empathy, sympathy, um, whatever, for Joe Biden going against Donald Trump. Um, I, I, I don't even think I would like to watch that. I think those of you out there 
that are Donald Trump devotees and he can do nothing wrong and you love him um, as long as the day is long. I, I think you would really enjoy that. Um, to me, it, it, it's, it would almost be cringe, cringe inducing to watch Donald Trump debate um, Joe Biden. And I have a lot of problems with Joe Biden for a, a myriad of reasons. But I, I don't even know if I could watch that with any degree of comfort because it would be so um, – it would be terrible. It really would. And, and don't think Democrats – um, don't know that. They know that very well. Now, on the other hand, and we've said this on the show on several occasions, if you think Donald Trump is a slam dunk uh, to win the nomination, despite how woeful his Democrat competitor is going to be, you know, I, I think you're being a little short-sighted. And that's simply, um, I'm looking at this from an electoral college standpoint. Um, and I've said this numerous times, um, the fact that Hillary Clinton was disliked by many, many people and a very poor candidate and someone that did not work real hard in the states where she felt Democrats could just kind of mail it in and, and win, that is not going to happen this time. It really isn't, regardless of this kind of sorry lot of individuals. And I, I would not put Amy Klobuchar in that category. I think um, I think on the ideological continuum, she's a little bit further to the right than the others. I think she is almost a throwback of the type of Democrat that my father was and who my father used to vote for. Um, a reasoned quasi-conservative type of a Democrat uh, that that did swerve into the area of common sense from time to time. Um, but the other players are, are nowhere near that. They are more in the category of Marxist, communist, socialist type um, individuals. But, um, you know, Amy Klobuchar, even, uh, even someone such as her, um, or, or let me back up, even if she doesn't get the nomination, and it really doesn't look like numbers-wise she's going to, those other individuals will, uh, they, as, as whatever as they are, they are all, to a person, more likable than Hillary Clinton was and is. That, coupled with the fact that Democrats are going to work extraordinarily hard in um in the states of Wisconsin and Michigan that they didn't really think they were going to lose, particularly Michigan, and they did. Um, you know, the way this thing, the Electoral College is structured and um, and and how weighted it is, you know, uh, Democrats always complain and they want a popular vote. But, you know, even though they complain about the Electoral College, right out of the chute, you have Illinois, New York, and California. That's really a slam dunk for Democrats. That that's a, that is a huge number of electoral college votes right out of the chute. So, as I've heard it said the other day, uh, Republicans a lot of times have to literally run the table in those swing states. They can't really do any little than winning eighty percent of the swing states or run the table for them um, not to win. They have to do that. And as much as Donald Trump comes from Florida and as much as Donald Trump 
Um, one Florida. Florida is always a toss up. North Carolina is trending uh, more and more uh, blue each in every election cycle, and that's problematic. Nevada used to be uh, a consistently red state. It is consistently blue. New Mexico used to be consistently red. It is consistently blue. Um, Michigan, uh, that was the first time they went um, red for a president in a really long time. And if you think that's not going to be a battle, you're, you're kidding yourself. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's fascinating in and of itself and, and, and is a phenomenon that does go uh, right across the Rust Belt. Uh, what will union voters do? Their union leaders will tell them, not ask them, not urge them, but tell them, you're going to vote Democrat. And if you think that's going to translate to um, a universal Democrat vote, um, I don't think so. I think when when uh, union workers get behind closed doors, they may very well, as they did in 2016, pull the trigger for Donald Trump. But Michigan's going to be close. Wisconsin, just ask um, the governor uh, that was finally ousted and he had, uh, um, you know, recall elections and stuff that that state is always 50 50. Pennsylvania hasn't gone um, the, in 2016. That was the first time that Pennsylvania was red in quite a while. And if you think, and, and I know Hillary Clinton did work Pennsylvania, but whoever the nominee is, is going to work it harder than she did. Ohio, that goes without saying. You win Ohio, you win the presidency. You lose Ohio, you don't. Um, and that that's statistically, that's just how it is. Um so I think Donald Trump rallies are are huge. We're going to have a big one across the river here in Cape May, New Jersey. A lot of uh, political intrigue involving that. Where um, at the eleventh and a half hour, the uh, the townships um, decided to do some construction work on what they termed a dangerous sinkhole, which is going to reroute thousands of people that are going to a Trump rally. So, in typical New Jersey fashion. That's what we got there. Um, but these rallies are very exciting. They bode well for Donald Trump. There's a lot of people that don't wear the whole Donald Trump thing on their sleeve and will vote for him. I will see uh, that there are people that did not vote for him last time or Hillary Clinton that will vote for him this time. But if you look at the Electoral College numbers, he still has to do some table running in order to get this done. And I, I think the saving grace for Donald Trump at the end of the day is going to be as it as it is in every election cycle since the beginning of election cycles. It's the economy. If you uh, or your spouse or your kids are employed, uh, gainfully employed, they're purchasing things, they're getting out of debt, um, they're moving from lower class to middle class or middle class to upper class, um, they simply just look up and, and see who's president and vote accordingly. So that's going to be something that's tough to beat. But on the other side of this, if if um, if you think the days of straight party voting are over, 
uh, you got another thing coming. And I know certain states are making it harder to vote a straight party ticket. You have to actually get the energy up and uh, and darken the circle or punch something for each and every candidate rather than vote straight party. But um, there's still a lot of people in this country, particularly older um, Americans, that vote straight party if um, – if a German shepherd was the nominee of your particular party, they would still vote for him or her. So um, that's something that is going to be hard to overcome in some of those swing states where Democrat um, individuals, uh, the, the registration of Democrats far exceeds uh, registered Republicans. So we shall see. Um I think uh, I'm a little tired of impeachment, but the the last thing I want to say about that is um, when this all started, uh, this article here says it was very uh, pointed. Josh Hawley highlights Chief Justice's unusual rebuke during impeachment trial. And this is uh, Senator Josh Hawley drew attention to the um, admonition uh, Supreme Court um Chief Justice John Roberts made to the participants of President Trump's impeachment trial on Sunday. Hawley is a 40-year-old Missouri Republican who formerly served as a clerk to John Roberts. And he told uh, Tucker Carlson on his show that Roberts' rebuke was really extraordinary. And he says, I can say as somebody who actually worked for John Roberts, I have never seen him do that before from any bench that I have ever seen him sit on, Holly said. It was very pointed. Roberts, 64, scolded both Democrat prosecutors and the president's defense lawyers in the early morning hours Wednesday, urging them to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. Those addressing the Senate should remember where they are. And um, that is a, a point that we should park on a little bit here, regardless of uh, content, um, regardless of party affiliation. Um, John Roberts reminds us that this is indeed the Senate, and the Senate does fancy itself as a um, as a more austere, uh, mature, tempered body in comparison to the House. Um, the House. Uh, People are in and out. They they transition every couple of years. Your time of service in the Senate is six years. So in theory, the Senate is supposed to slow down the uh, the tumultuous things that come across their desk from the House of Representatives and how they speak to one another. The whole decorum thing is supposed to be something that is um, to be understood and respected. And John Roberts reminds us of that. And I think he does that in the face of Adam Schiff just completely going on, you know, hour after hour after hour with just craziness. And then, um, you know, President Trump's um, team kind of fighting back in, in, in rhetoric that was uh, not all that becoming, although, um, you know, necessary, one could say, but not all that becoming of rhetoric that you typically hear in the Senate. And uh, Judge Roberts reminds us of uh, where we are and how we should talk to one another. And I know that's very difficult. Um, you listen to talk radio, you watch people on television, 
people are pretty excited about what they believe in and they're pretty bent on making that point uh, to the point where who they're talking to, how they're speaking almost sometimes gets in the way of their point. And we wrap back around to how we started the show with faith-based voters um, or people that are trying to argue a case for Donald Trump or Republicans in general. Um, how you say what you say as opposed or is actually more important than what you're actually saying. And uh, very tall order. Emotion is an amazing thing. And um, by nature, people on the left side of the aisle are emotion-based thinkers. They're not logic-based thinkers. So they're going to naturally be a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more animated. And sometimes that bleeds into mean-spirited um, and horrible rhetoric, rhetoric that is not helpful. And we on the right should not fall prey to that. Uh, if we're passionate about what we believe in, um, that's one thing. But um, to to stoop to a level of mudslinging, name-calling, albeit very difficult, the Lord does not charge us to do that. He wants us to be... Um, well in control of our uh, faculties. Um, Colossians 3, 8 uh, discusses many things that the Lord would like us to be or, or uh, put to bed or turn from once we become uh, born again Christians. And, and those things are uh, are pretty, uh, un unfortunately, pretty evident in discourse today. Anger, malice, filthy language, uh, things of that nature. And we just can't do that because whatever we're saying gets flushed down the toilet with uh, how we are saying it. Another thing that we do have to keep in mind going with what I just said is the fact that many of the people that we're talking to may not be political junkies. Uh, they may not be up to speed on the issues of the day. And for that reason, our rhetoric has to be a little tempered. We have to slow down. We have to uh, make our points a little slower, a little longer. If we want to uh, persuade people over to our point of view, we have that's going to take time. And that's going to take time for a lot of different reasons. Uh, people uh, take people that are ideologues off the table. There's a lot of people because of our woeful educational system and the fact that they're just too busy you know, working, working two jobs, trying to put a roof over their head or pay their rent, that they're not watching Fox News. They're not listening to talk radio. They're not even going to church. They graduated from a high school where they didn't learn anything about the United States Constitution. So when we talk to individuals such as that, we need to know the lay of the land before we start puking all over ourselves. Because again, if we don't understand our audience, we're going to be like the guy that interrupted the hearing earlier this week, yelling Schumer is from the devil. Uh, if you're a reasonable person, but just happen to fall into the aforementioned category or categories that I just chronicled, you look at that guy and you just say, what a lunatic. You, you're not thinking abortion or pro-choice or any of that stuff. You're just, say, you're just saying lunatic and your ears are closed and you don't even think about things that perhaps you should be thinking about. 
And uh, this next article that I saw is really um, pretty telling um, of of how you know we got to be mindful of who we're speaking to and and where what level they're at um, on on the uh, on the knowledge base or, or wherever. This this says less than half of Americans know six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Now, on the 27th of um, January, we have Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is, um, you know, I celebrate as a probably a poor choice of words commemorated on that day. Um, so some atrocities such as the Holocaust will never, ever, ever happen again. But if you are like many fundamental Islamists in the Middle East, who put out maps that don't even have Israel on it. They refer to Jews as pigs and they say the Holocaust never happened, coupled with a woeful educational system in this country, you have the following problem. This says a poll found that less than half of Americans know how many Jewish people were killed in the Holocaust. The Pew survey asked American adults a number of questions related to the Holocaust. When asked in a multiple-choice format how many Jews were murdered under the Nazi regime, um, less than half, 45% answered um, approximately 6 million, while 29 said that they were not sure. Respondents were also asked how Adolf Hitler came to power, with only 43% answering that he became the Chancellor of Germany through a democratic political process. A quarter of those surveys said that they believe Hitler became leader by violently overthrowing the German government, and 28% said they were unsure of how he obtained power. Of those polled, only 69% were able to pinpoint the Holocaust sometime between the years of 1930 and 1950, while 18% were unsure or think that it happened sometime before or after that date range. Now, you may not think that's a that's too big of a deal. Um, you may say, "Look, I, I never liked history in school anyway." But when you had a phenomenon where a uh, a madman and an ism, which was Nazism, was hell bent on taking over the world and exterminating an entire race of people. I think you probably should understand a little bit more than this poll reflects that you do understand. I really do. And um, it's just a, another troubling thing when I see things like this. And it, it just, um, as I've stated before, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm not that young. I'm in my mid-50s. And, um, you know, it, it it's very troubling sometimes. I look at the youth of America and I, I get a little concerned but then again, I look at uh, people my age and people older than me, and I get a little concerned. I see people that at one time in their life seem to get it, and their ideals were pretty much what they were. And over the course of time, they've kind of eroded. So this is not, let's pick on um, young people today and the educational system, um, this happens to anybody that becomes disengaged, doesn't pay attention to the issues of the day, the corners are a little rounded. Um, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I, my juice and my passion to uh, 
study the issues of the day and get on the radio and start barking is nothing like it was 10 years ago. And it's simply because I'm tired and, and a lot of Americans are tired. They, And that is by design of the evil one. The evil one wants us to be weary at the end of the day and not fight the good fight. And it seems that the people that are fighting against biblical principles or conservative principles have boundless energy. They um, they have boundless support from uh, Hollywood. They have boundless support from the media. They have numbers in um, in at least one branch of uh, of government, and um, they could very easily have uh, much more political power in in another year. So it it, it seems rather daunting. We get rather weary. And I think we have to, when we get that way and we feel like we are addressing these issues, like someone that is uh, killing locusts with a tennis racket, I think it's largely because we are um, looking horizontally and not vertically. I think we get recharged um, as a as a body of Christ, if you will. If we look up, we look vertically, we realize that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has boundless energy and the Holy Spirit will infuse us with boundless energy. And many of these things that we take on, we don't have to take on. And when we feel that we have to save the world, maybe we have to just have a couple conversations and maybe our neighbors and friends will will join us and maybe they'll be the one to turn somebody one way or another rather than us taking this thing and, and putting it on our back like a piano going up a hill. Um, if you do that, and I have done that for years, you end up tired, frustrated, discouraged, dispirited. You see the world as um, a world that's going to hell in a handbasket with no hope of ever returning to um, some of the great things that this country once was. And and I think that the evil one has a lot to do with that. And I think the more we allow God to work through us and instead of um, trying to do this ourselves, I think we are going to definitely um, sustain the fight or, or uh, live to fight another day if you will. Um, so let me transition from the impeachment and the uh, this is and that's of the day to uh, an interesting article that I saw. Uh, and we, we discussed this a few weeks ago on the show as well, as far as red flag laws are concerned. In Hawaii, it says even stricter gun laws uh, are to be um, enacted in wake of shooting that killed two police officers. And this just happened a few days ago. And it says the Giffords Law Center, and those of you that don't know, Gabby Giffords was a um, a politician that was um, shot and and um, critically wounded at, a, at an event years ago in Arizona. Um, and it says the Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence gives Hawaii an A rating on its annual gun law scorecard. And last year, the islands joined more than a dozen other states in enacting a law allowing police and family members to obtain a court order to take firearms from someone who poses a danger to himself or herself or another person. Um, it is not yet clear. This just kind of happened um, 
where the gunman who killed the police officers got his weapon, but lawmakers had already been drafting legislation that would prohibit lending guns to another person. Current state law allows gun owners to lend firearms for up to 15 days within the state and for more than two months to those out of state in both situations without background checks. And we should stop right here. I am a big Second Amendment guy, and um, I will fight to the end anybody that wants to take away guns from American citizens. However, um, the background check thing is an area where I know the NRA has bent over backwards to um, fight in every way, shape, manner, or form for logical background checks in certain instances. And I'm not one of those guys. I think... Um, background check loopholes should be closed. I think um, it, it's pretty easy to do. And the the whole, well, the camel's nose is under the tent if we start messing with background checks. I don't think that's real logical. Um, so let's look at this. Current state law allows gun owners to lend firearms for up to 15 days within the state and for more than two months to someone out of state. Um I don't know. Uh, I don't know where I am on that, but I can just kind of think out loud with you guys here. Uh, I mean, pragmatically, if you lend a gun to somebody that does something crazy with it and you know that that person was crazy, I, I think common sense says you are quite culpable um, to throw your hands up in the air and say, well, this guy was in my Bible study. I thought he's a pretty good guy. I had no, I had no idea he was going to go crazy. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times you do. And I, I think a lot of times when Uncle Bob loans a gun to Cousin Lester, he knows Lester's off his rocker and he's probably not doing something that he should be doing. But there's a big but there. But does that pave the way for these red flag laws, which I could not be more against, um, whereby... Case in point, um, man and woman are having marital problems. They're jockeying back and forth for custody of children. They're jockeying back and forth for assets. And um, hate to sound sexist, but still in the year 2020, the man is on the short end of that stick more often than he should be. So let's just do a scenario. The woman in jockeying for all these things, the kids and the money and the car and the house and all this stuff, makes a little phone call to the local authorities and says, you know, um, I'm a little worried. My estranged husband, Bob, is um, he's got a lot of guns. Let's just put it that way. And, um, you know, a couple times he said, I better watch my back. Well, believe it or not, that in and of itself is enough to invoke the proverbial knock on the door um, and the sheriff or, or whomever in that township. According to the laws of, of many municipalities, can knock on the door, say, hey, Bob, round up your guns and we're taking them. Um, there is no due process. There is no court hearing. There is no he said, she said in a court of law that's being adjudicated under the uh, notion that Bob is an immediate threat to his wife based on an allegation. Bob can lose his guns um, immediately. That is un-American. That is not the way that we do it. 
And uh, could that save um, some people if indeed that person is a crazy person and procured a gun somehow or is, is making threats? Yeah, it could. But in general, um, there's a lot more people that could get harmed by people such as that uh, woman in that scenario. And it doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a guy. I'm just throwing scenarios out there. Um, that stuff happens. That stuff happens all the time. And it is not a good thing. So closing loopholes on um, background checks that are really not background checks. I, I don't think that's a left or right issue. I don't think that's a, uh, I don't agree with the second amendment or I do agree with the second amendment. I think that's common sense. And I think people that, that fight logical background checks to, um, to, uh, vet if, if a, um, somebody that wants to buy a gun is crazy is something that should not be opposed. But, um, somebody, just flushing their due process rights down the toilet based on um, something somebody said um, offhand in a municipality where that's all they need to do to come and take your guns. I don't think that's very American. I don't think that's a good thing. And, um, you know, Hawaii can run Hawaii the way they want to. Um, I I would urge anybody in the state of Hawaii or in any state if, if they think that um, – Less guns uh, equals a, a safer environment. Ask yourself, when's the last time you saw a police barracks being shot up? And the answer is uh, almost never. Um, and that is simply because even compromised individuals know that um, there's a lot of people in police barracks that have guns. And many of these atrocities that are happening, um, and they're happening you know, too often, uh, when they do happen, as mentally ill as the uh, perpetrator is, they do shop around. They find municipalities where the gun laws are um, light, and they know that if they start firing, nobody's going to fire back. And uh, that is n uh, no more evidence than the Colorado um, theater shooter who admittedly shopped uh, four different areas and he happened upon the fourth area to uh, to perpetrate his carnage because he, that area, as opposed to the other three, had very strict gun laws. And um, if you don't believe me, statistically, uh, there's a good book that was out years ago by John Lott, More Guns, Less Crime. And it, it does chronicle in, in painstaking detail of um, areas where uh, the, the gun ownership is greater, the amount of crime is less. And the converse of that often is the case as well. So I've um, been to Hawaii many, many, many times. It's an absolutely beautiful state, and they can run it any way they want to. But um, if they think taking uh, or, or enacting, you know, again, common sense background checks, I'm all for. But if they think enacting red flag laws are going to make this problem go away, it's actually going to make it worse in, in a lot of respects. Um, and just ask Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke, um, to the credit of whoever the CNN pundit or MSNBC pundit that was moderating a debate said, um, hey, Beto, how are you going to do that? How are you going to take guns 
from law-abiding citizens that have uh, that have procured their guns legally. How does that look? Walk us through that from the knock on the door to the law-abiding citizen that has not done anything wrong, going to the closet and getting their guns and giving them to the law enforcement officer. What does that look like? And obviously, Beto O'Rourke um, floundered uh, miserably because that's a scenario that you don't want to have happen. And sheriffs and police officers all over the country cringe when put in a situation like that. They don't want to be in a situation like that. So um, that's what we have there. We are winding it down and um, really interesting story I wanted to get to. I don't think I have enough time, but I can I can try it in about 30 seconds. This is um, this is what we're up against, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll, I'll try to do it as quickly as possible, maybe expand on it next show. Utah woman charged after going topless in front of her stepkids inside her own home faces a setback in court. And I'm not going to read all the particulars, but basically <coughs> this lady was uh, doing some drywall work with her husband and... Um, they were her stepkids. They were her newly married husband's kids. And uh, he didn't want to get his clothes dirty. So he took his shirt off. And she is an avowed feminist activist that wanted to make a point to his children, uh, ages 9 through 13, three of them, that um, women uh, can go topless just like men. So she took her top off while the uh, she was doing the drywall. And um, some of the things she says in this article were absolutely amazing. And uh, I knew I didn't have time to do it, but um, this is what we're up against. She she has uh, procured the services of the ACLU, and she thinks men and women have equal rights to um, take their shirts off. And she has not done anything wrong and has not scarred her stepkids in one way or the other. And the mother of these children... And the authorities in Utah seem to look at this a little bit differently. And we'll um, we'll wrap it up there. This has been Reshaping America, Kerf Llewellyn, and we'll, uh, we'll try to get to that um, a little bit more on the next show. Have a great day.